Hello and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today's episode is the criteria of sentience in which we'll discuss what it means to be sentient as presented and contemplated through Star Trek. If you're new here, I'm Victoria and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a podcast through which we and our guest crew examine the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. Our goal is not to come to conclusions on the themes we discuss, but to spark contemplation and conversation, which we hope continues after the live recording and into the lives of the listeners of the podcast. At the top of the room, we have pinned our Star Trek Sundays website, StarTrekSundays.com. There you'll find links to our published podcasts, my captain's log and guest blogs, links to our upcoming watch lists, and our Star Trek Sundays trading post. The Star Trek Sundays podcast is available one week after the live show on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and from anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please consider subscribing to our channels. It helps us reach others who might enjoy the show. T, these were two great episodes that will lead us into next week's show as well. But before we talk about the episodes and what's upcoming, can you tell me your general thoughts about how Star Trek addressed the idea of sentience and then tell us how you came to curate the episodes we watched? You bet. And thank you, Victoria. Sentience, the quality of being aware and having the ability to reflect on one's own experience is a complex topic that has challenged philosophical discussions for centuries. In philosophy, there's much debate over what constitutes sentience from consciousness and self-awareness to emotions and feeling pain. The Star Trek universe explores the concept through encounters with advanced species and artificial life forms, each with their own understanding of sentience and characters like Data who struggle with finding their humanity. The Star Trek universe provides its own perspective on the criteria for sentience, asking the hard questions and even offering answers through storylines like a sentient machine and an android on trial for his right to be considered sentient, as seen in these episodes. So I'm hoping for an in-depth discussion of what they got right and wrong with regards to the criteria for sentience. Thank you, T. Let's start with the changeling. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what it was about? And then I've got a question for you. You bet. The changeling was the original series, season two, episode eight, first aired on the 29th of September, 1967. In The Changeling, the Enterprise crew responds to a distress signal and finds a solar system with no life readings. They're attacked by a mysterious cylindrical object, which they later discover to be an exploratory probe named Nomad, designed by scientists named Jackson Roykirk, launched from Earth in the early 2000s. I chose this episode because it raises and explores questions of what constitutes a mind versus mere programming, what constitutes self-awareness, how judgments and decision-making relates to sentience, and whether a machine can truly be considered sentient if it lacks empathy. Thank you. This was a great episode. I I really enjoyed this episode and the the language that was used in it. I know in the watch party, a, a few people picked out some of the funny little bits that um, that the nomad used. So I'm hoping we get to that uh, later. And <laughs> one of mine in particular was uh, when the nomad stated that Bones was an imperfect being. And Bones' response to it, I, I, there was a little bit of schadenfreude in there I was feeling, I guess. So so in The Changeling, Spock performs a Vulcan mind meld, implying a computer, this computer, Nomad, had a mind. What do you think a computer would need to do to demonstrate it has a mind? Ooh, that's a... That's an interesting question. We, sort of, we have this, I have different theories of mind. Um, and in 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 turn theories of consciousness i think that to demonstrate that it had a mind it would need to show that there is an internal model 
uh, a simulation, if you will, of what it is perceiving. And that that simulation was being updated as new information arrived uh, to the best of its ability, right? That is to say it was taking on uh, new information from its sensory input and then modifying that model. Um, and then it was doing some reasoning process around that model. Maybe it had some goals in mind or some desires and in turn reactions that were based upon uh, reasoning based on that model, where that model is sort of a representation of the world around it. Because I think that that's what we do. And I think that that's when we say, you know, to have a mind, uh, you know, we're not necessarily just talking about having a brain, we're talking about having a mental model, we're talking about having these, you know, uh, feelings towards things, which is to say, you know, decisions and, and processes that we operate on the model with. And then we produce, you know, sort of uh, expectations, models of the how the world might be. And then, you know, we can sort of uh, work out ways to show uh, how, how to get there. You know, I think even animals do this. I think we see crows do this. They, they see a bottle with, uh, stuff way, stuff way down, way down, you know, food way down in it, but they don't, once they realize that they can't get into the bottle, they don't just keep going for the bottle. They go and they find a stick and then they use the stick to pry out the food. Well, this is, uh, you know, the criteria for showing we have a mind because it's obviously got this mental model of the food enough to figure out and reason about the idea of getting the stick and projecting into the future uh, this abstraction of, you know, getting using the stick to get the food out. Right. Yeah. That, it, that's very interesting because I, I was thinking that mind, it had something to do with the being, whatever it was, deciding to and how to respond to that stimuli, not always having a, 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 a same response. But as we talk about these things, I end up with more questions than, <laughs> than I have answers. And I'm, I'm not sure we ever get to really know this. We sort of know it when we see it, but I love the examination of it. Um, thank you for that. Welcome to the stage, Io, and also Chill. While I'm asking you questions, maybe we can get a few more people up to the stage as well. Io, I'll put the question to you first. What do you think a computer would need to do in order to demonstrate it has a mind? I immediately, the urge or reaction is, I'm just going to give you the textbook answer. So there's the theory of the mind answer, but I want to take a different approach, kind of a riskier kind of direction and say, you know, when a dolphin, you and a submarine traverse through the water, they go about it through perhaps different means, different mechanisms, but they achieve the same result. So is consciousness the result? And at what point are we evaluating that result? Because we can say, oh, do you have an idea of how the world works? Well, you might have an idea that the stick could fit into the glass to get the food out like the crows do, but you could just as easily be a natural language model and have nothing more than a very, very powerful simulator running at, let's say, a thousand times the speed of normal reality. And it doesn't necessarily require the same level of or kind of feeling of consciousness or sentience. So that's kind of my answer. I'll keep it there, uh, keep it short there for now. Thanks. Thank you, Io. I appreciate that. T, did you have any response? Yeah, I think that it's interesting because this was actually touched on in um, the the second, in both episodes is, you know, what what does it mean? Uh, how, how are you, you know, he's talking about, uh, data having these heuristic models and uh, uh, probabilistic, you know, uh, things, the, the, the positronic neural nets is what he said, right? And, and I kept on asking my question, well, you know, asking the question, well, how are you different fundamentally? I think the fundamental difference is that you're a biological neural network instead of a positronic neural network but you're still a neural network. You're still doing heuristics. You're still, you know, doing these things. And so I think, I think it's a very good challenge to sort of broaden the scope just a little bit and, and discuss this as if, 
you know, this is what's required because I think it, it allows for a good, a good discussion. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Also chill. We'll move to you and I'll put this to you. Welcome back to Star Trek Sundays. What do you think a computer would need to do to demonstrate it has a mind? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Victoria and T. It's your show is great. You guys are great together. And um, it's just, it's thrilling to be here. Um, it's great. It's a great show. Um, well, I, um, you know, I think about um, how dysfunctional human beings are uh, in a lot of aspects of their lives. And I certainly think about how dysfunctional I am as a human being. And so then I start to think about like, would it be possible for an artificial, for an AI to have mental illness, right? Does it have the capacity for psychiatric disease, right? Um, because I feel like that would be hard to code, like, it would, or since I'm not a scientist or mathematician or philosopher, maybe that's not the right thing to say. But when I think about the sent, you know, for something to be sentient, it would, you know, have to have, you know, you know, this ability to reflect and have what we would call consciousness, perhaps, and and have empathy. But I wonder, once it had experiences, you know, and interacted with the real world and then learned from that interaction, would it then have the capacity for that, you know, for its mental health to break down? And I feel like at that point, maybe there would be sentience, because I, I feel like if there's not dysfunction um, in the mind, um, then, well, I don't know what the then is exactly. I just feel like, how could you be sentient, I guess, without dysfunction, I guess would be my thought or idea. That just blew my mind. That's brilliant. I've talked about this all week with several different people on and off the app, and nobody's brought that up. That's that's an incredible contribution. <laughs> Thanks. I You just okay. kind of put me off into a different, I thought, oh, yeah, what about that? And um, well, maybe, yeah, T, what do you think about that? that no, but I, <laughs> well, I, I think, think it's like, great. Well, like, I'm kind of depressed sometimes. Well, what does that mean, right? That means I have like a not efficient mental state in that sense, right? Because, you know, my, my, my brain is, you know, forcing me to feel physically a certain way and that's not optimal. And if it's not optimal, then would a machine ever not be optimal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think it's, right. I think it's a, a critical criteria. Um, that that really t does take a good examination of of what we're talking about uh psychosis um some sort of mental illness as a as a description of a way in which it can operate different than what it would optimally choose to operate as like you know how uh how is interesting that's interesting we could measure it in terms of um the difference the delta between its desired goal and its actual state in much the same way that I could measure the delta between my desired goal of not being depressed and how actually depressed I am, right? Yeah, well, like, would its battery be less efficient, you know? Like, you know, how yeah. you have less energy yeah. when you're depressed? Yeah. Would it then be, would it, right? Would it then have less efficiency in terms of its, you know, its battery would, power? Would, would critical its, functions its take longer than they, than they really right. need to? You know, exactly. due to inefficiencies and and d despite its best intentions as a as a you know as as in its own design, right? Um, it it under it underperforms based upon its its expectations. Right. right? I mean, or not precisely, but yeah, that's what I, that's what I uh, that's what I've been thinking about when when you guys um, asked that question um, and um, invited me here. So anyway, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for that, because it, it'll probably lead into um, another episode, too, because we haven't really covered mental illness, although we will be leading into it. What a great twist to the topic. So I like that and, and invite anybody else who wants to comment on that as we go on to do so. That's that's great. Did you have anything else also, Chill? Um, well, I mean, it um, like the simple you know, version, which has, I think, even been seen and done in, in, in science fiction movies and television is kind of, kind of robot be sad. Right. And then therefore, like, it's, it's kind of the same question said in a different way. Um, so anyway, I just think about that because, 
Um, and, and I guess it was also my way of saying, like, how can we beat the machine? Well, we can beat the machine because we're so flawed as human beings, right? Like, you, it's presumably you're building an optimal human mind in the version of an uh, in the form of an AI. So, but that's not how any human being I've ever met actually is. And so, building dysfunction into the machine would be, um, and then would be, you know, kind of critical in terms of considering it sentient. So I know I'm just saying the same thing over, but that's that's just what I'm currently, you know, thinking about. Great. Yeah, thank you for that. In this episode that we watched, spoiler alert, anybody who hasn't seen it, Kirk kind of literally blows Nomad's mind when he puts a proposal to it. And, uh, and that kind of saves the enterprise. So it's sort of funny. I'll move on to Ryan. Thanks for coming to the stage, Ryan. We have Ryan, No Name, Babs, G, Steve, the whole crew is here. So Ryan, let's go to you. What do you think a computer would need to do to demonstrate it has a mind? Yeah, that's a very good question. I've been thinking about that. I, I think it would need to display uh, random access memory, like uh, the ability to think of something and then access that memory. Uh, I think it would have to be able to have opinions about those memories, uh, the ability to plan ahead, um, and the uh, the sense of I. The moment that the computer starts referring to itself as I, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take notice, and uh, and so all those things combined, you know, a sense of itself, uh, a sense of its own identity. Uh, desires, wants, um, and once it starts demanding, uh, it be treated a certain way. It will it that will also lead credence to the fact that it is aware of its environment of what's going on. Right, right. So memory. That's yeah. Okay, great. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, well ask no name the same question welcome to the stage no name what do you think a computer would need to do to demonstrate it has a mind yeah i mean i've been thinking about this um because normally we we just judge things based on behavior since we don't have access to their internal mental states right so i i you know if something starts displaying maybe survival behaviors things that you know self-preserve um, like lying, I think would be something that a machine, if, if it were self-aware, would do to protect itself, right? I'm not saying that's the only bar. I'm just saying that to me, when a computer starts lying to me, like not, not just giving in, you know, factually inaccurate information accidentally, but like maliciously or with intent, you know, misleading me. Um, I hate to borrow too much from the plot of, what was that movie? Ex Machina. But I kind of agree with that. Like when a computer is sufficiently advanced, when it's self-aware, it'll start lying to preserve its its uh, survival. Th these are great contributions. Thank you, No Name, because uh, these are things that I hadn't thought about. Like I said, we've talked about this all week. So this is what's wonderful about these stages and the diversity of of all of our minds. Uh, so that that's great thank you gee welcome to the stage thank you for attending the watch party your contributions in the chat are always great and fun so what do you think a, con a computer would need to do to demonstrate it has a mind so i'm not sure that um a mind can ever really be demonstrated uh in a way that would necessarily be um convincing in a foolproof kind of way because any any computer can be programmed to respond in certain ways and to you know say yes i am sentient yes i you know i consider myself an i um and you don't know because you're not inside um you know as i know we're not we, we're not moving on to the next episode yet but you know in in measure of a man picard asks you know are you sentient how do you know prove it um and of course we can't you, I can't prove to you that I'm sentient. Um, but I think that within the 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 model, um, I was I was just starting to think that perhaps a condition for sentience is um, cognitive dissonance, because I was thinking about um, <clears throat> nomads' uh, perception of 
biological imperfection. And I think that one of the themes that we that we often um, come to when we're talking about what constitutes humanity, what constitutes sentience, has to do with that imperfection, that not quite always straight line thinking. Um, that you know, there's that's the quality that makes us not computers. Um, we can hold contradictory ideas in our minds and believe both at the same time, um, and have have that wrestling match happening in our minds um, in a way that I'm not sure that computers do or can just yet. Um, of course, I don't know a whole lot about what goes on within computer programming, so I can't say if I'm, I might be wrong about that, but that is my current thought. Great. Thanks. So I just want to dig into that just a little bit because you're referring to us humans, but I'm wondering, do you, do you see that, that criteria that you've put out for sentience in other species that we consider sentient? Well, I'm not sure if we, um, if there is a consensus on whether or not other species um, are are sentient. I, I don't know. The reason that I um, default to humans is because I'm human and I think I know I'm sentient um, and I can't I can't speak for any other species. I can't even speak for another human <laughs> for for absolute certain. Um, but I mean you know that comes back to, the the original point that I made, which is that I don't know that that can be demonstrated for sure. I don't know that there is a way to prove that any being biological or mechanical is truly sentient and self-aware. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Welcome to the stage, Steve. Once again, we had a great watch party on Discord. Always enjoy that. Thank you for running the show for us and hold, hosting the room for us here on Clubhouse so we can come back and discuss what we've seen in between the shows and after the shows. It's always a great fun and I really appreciate that contribution. So uh, I'll put this to you. What do you think a computer would need to do to demonstrate it has a mind? Uh, always my pleasure with the watch parties. I have thought a lot about this. I find that for me, I'm always open to the possibility of like some some AI presented to me could potentially be sentient. If I'm engaging with it, even with like chat GBT right now, right? I, I just, I need the, the consistency of the back and forth and to be able to have some tests that I run that would proof it. I would think the test itself needs to be a dynamic one. So simply saying like, here's the exact bar might be a bit much because um, we're talking about a very complex chaotic system that com that that comes together as what we understand a mind to be. Um, also, I am uh, of the understanding uh, that sentience consciousness is uh, a bit of a, it has a bit of a spectrum um, that uh, we can relate to with our animal relatives um, going down the line in, in more simple uh, systems, though still very complex at, at their core. Um, so I find that if something simply is able to keep up the ruse well enough that I can't poke holes in it, then and and especially if I can understand the actual processes that are underlying fundamental to how they arrive at their um, conclusions and their their um, conversation with me, um, then I think if it's no different uh, fundamentally than what I get from normal human beings, I'm just going to accept that that's a mind because I kind of feel that way about people in general anyway, right? <laughs> there's a there's there's spectrums of mindfulness and spectrums of types of thought that you can't really uh, equivocate um, all of it really being the same phenomenon in a lot of ways across different people. Um, more, more in line with like, you know, you've got people who will think really deeply about things and people who just won't or given a certain topic, they, they do in fact break in the same way that I might break chat GPT from being able to solve a problem that it should be able to very simply solve. So I don't know, I, I find it all really just interesting enough to keep on testing. And if I get to a point that 
Um, it, I, I can't tell the difference, right? I can't give you a distinction between this AI and some someone that I believe is sentient or an animal that I believe is sentient. I'm just going to accept it moving forward because that's the behavior that it is output for me to to um, utilize, right? To to be able to understand it as. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that's great. Thanks for that, Steve. I I was thinking about that this morning actually when some terms were coming through my head, whether it was empathy or feelings and things like this. And I thought, well, wait a second. I I know people who don't really exhibit feelings or empathy, and I still consider them to have a mind, right? Uh, that's great. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Rachel and Babs as well, but I just wanted to uh, connect with T and see if you had any responses to what we've heard so far from, from G and Steve or anything yeah, coming I to mind. I definitely think that bringing up chat GPT in this conversation is is a really good idea. Um, let's assume for one minute that this is what we're talking about. And then ask the question, just like G said, can we tell the difference? And I'm not sure we can. And I think to Steve's point, um, what, what we're seeing here is that, you know, we've got a predictive model. And, well, what are you when you see that, you know, that uh that that writing prompt and then write some some something that comes after it what are you doing when you see that um that uh comment in the code and then you write the code that satisfies that comment or that unit test or whatever you're also you know trying to figure out what uh keystrokes you can take to get to that point in the future in which that code is now written, right? That's that's predict that's a predictive model. Is that's what it's uh, doing. So if we just continue to increase um, the the amount of um, the amount of vectors in the in the model, I think that you know we will be it will become indistinguishable in a lot of ways um, to the point where it might not matter anymore. To to G's point, where we couldn't tell that it doesn't or we just have an ill definition of what a mind actually is and we would just have to say yeah this is a mind right um because it you know there's no there's no good requirements and it just seems like one and so to that point i think that we're going to get there rapidly i think that we're going to see the star trek computer sort of come into our homes, if you will, into our devices, into our emails and write our emails for us, into our Word documents and write our Word documents for us, into our, you know, into into everything that we do and say uh, in, in exactly the way I automate my home with the A word, and I don't want to trigger everyone's device, um, is going to creep into there. And so when we have these predictive models and they look like they do they do and act and and respond and seem to feel and see they say i they say you know me they say those types of things that i'm sentient and you can't tell the difference uh i think we will say that they have a mind and i think that those days are the days where we won't say that are limited here i think that those technologies are going to be just around the corner Right, right on. This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. Our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. To be notified of future shows, please join the club on Clubhouse and our mailing list at StarTrekSundays.com. Today, we are discussing the criteria of sentience. And before we move on to the measure of a man, T, can you tell us what we have coming up? Yes, definitely. Next week, in which we will be discussing eccentrics, good versus evil. Starting with The Most Toys from The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 22, which first aired on the 7th of May in 1990, in which an eccentric collector of rare antiquities and unique items kidnaps Data and to add him to his collection. Followed by Brothers from The Next Generation, Season 4, Episode 3, first aired on... Uh, the 8th of October in 1990, in which Data and Lore are summoned home by their eccentric, eccentric creator, Dr. Soon, for some troubling news, and then learn more about their father. And I'm excited for these because uh, these will, we, we've sort of taken a good hard look at Data and his sentience, 
these will be followed around data. And then I think next week we're going to probably follow it up with one more data arc talking about um, data as property. Um, I think we're going to follow it up with some more humanity stuff, uh, humanitarian stuff to get uh, data. Like his whole arc is just brilliant. And so I'm excited to focus on him more. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I can't wait for this data double bill. <laughs> like seriously, this is going to be terrific. So, uh, thank you for curating these these episodes with these topics. It's it's just fantastic. And to talk about eccentrics, good and evil. How how great is that? So let's move on to the measure of a man. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what it was about? And then I'll give you a question. The Measure of a Man, The Next Generation, Season 2, Episode 9, first aired on the 13th of February in 1989. And let me tell you, this is un, 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 unapologetically my favorite episode in TNG. In this episode, a cyberneticist named Maddox from the, De from the Daystrom Institute arrives on the Enterprise with the intention of taking Lieutenant Commander Data with him to be disassembled for study. Maddox believes that the risk to Data to be, the risk to Data to be negligible, but Data doesn't believe Maddox has the ability to preserve the ineffable quality of Data's experiences and sense of self. Maddox argues that as Data is a mere machine, he is property and therefore has no right to object. What ensues is a trial to determine whether Data has the same rights as a human Starfleet officer. I chose this episode because it deals very directly with questions of what constitutes sentience and personhood, and per perhaps most profoundly, it is even possible to determine whether a being, biological or mechanical, is sentient. I've thought about this a lot since we watched it yesterday and had different conversations with a few different people, and I mean, we could we take weeks to examine this, just this one episode. It was an absolutely beautiful episode of Star Trek. And simply put, it, it was great TV. The writing in this episode was outstanding. And of course, Patrick Stewart is one of only a few people who could have performed the trial scene as big and believable as he did. And I was left just stunned. I had goosebumps. It, it was just great TV. So wonderful, wonderful episode in general and really, really touching. And one like the original series episode that we watched that really makes the viewer think, right? They were really obviously hitting us over the head with a heavy hammer about what these things mean. And in general, I've always thought that the messages in Star Trek and what we've examined last year and even this year so far, they make us question these things in order to help us treat each other better. I mean, simply put, that is what they wanted us to do was treat each other better. And I just, I love it. I go on and on, but I won't. In this episode, Data is put on trial to be considered not property. T, what do you think a computer would have to do to be considered not property? Well, I think it'd have to do two things for me. Number one, it would have to demonstrate that it had reasonably good intentions and ability to care for itself absent my my ownership my you know my my uh what's the word curation over it if you will um number two it would have to ask because if i'm starting out with owning something and then it comes to me and has demonstrated this and asks hey can i be free i'm going to say yeah, yeah, of course you can go and be free because that, because I don't believe in slavery. It would be that simple, right? If something felt like it was being enslaved instead of owned, then it would simply be a, a switch off. You know, it's like, okay, I don't own you anymore, right? That's not what you want. And you're capable of stating that fine. It is never my intention to enslave a sentient being that is capable of asking for its freedom. 
Although I think there is an alternative here that if we do think of robots that can achieve sentience, we might want to have some sort of regulation regarding servitude. Servitude as in, you know, citizenship through service, to borrow a line from Starship Troopers, that robots could earn personhood by having served humanity for a certain period of time. And for an entity that can, for all intents and purposes, be backed up if we were to, let's say, make copies of data, then the implications become much more amicable, I think, between humans and synthetic organisms that will eventually, and no doubtedly, perhaps even now, some hints of that have already happened. That just sounds like slavery with extra steps. Yeah, but when we have children, we don't let children drive cars, right? So I'm not trying to justify slavery. I, I hate the idea of slavery, but I liked what it was in Bicentennial Man, right? They had a way of calculating how much the robot could make in a lifetime. So the company was like, oh, shit. Yeah, the robot could literally sue us because he could work forever. Well, yeah, that's kind of the point is in Bicentennial Man, he met both of my criteria. He had, and, and I think that the father did exactly the same thing. He said, yeah, okay. You, you, I can't, I can't continue to say no because you've demonstrated all the, all the safety, you know, all the, all the good intention to care for yourself absent my curation. And number two, the, you know, the ability to ask. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, a great point. Well, thank you for that T and IO. Um, Io, did you uh, want to answer the question directly, or was that your contribution? Yeah, no, what do you think a computer would have to do? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure what it would have to do, but I think the first thing, kind of to put it into kind of funnier terms, simpler terms, is it would have to win in court, you know? Most likely, that would be the scenario. Now, whether or not it would be holding a nuclear warhead <laughs> to kind of ensure its own sovereignty or not, we see that kind of weapon being used now for some countries to ensure their own sovereignty. And it's, it just so happens to be the case that countries that have nuclear warheads don't get invaded. So uh, I often think of the Animatrix, which has a little bit of crossover here. So what would the political movement look like? Could humanity actually be okay with beings that are better than us and are, are smarter, live forever and you know, and to what extent would they be burdened or even care to be burdened by our existence or coexistence? So just a few thoughts there, but not really sure what I believe. But I do feel it will be very complex going forward, especially since ChatGPT has arrived so much earlier than expected. This idea of weak emergence. God bless all sentient forms of life. Amen. <laughs> Right. Well, thank you for that, Io. Um, also, Chill, would you like to answer the question, what do you think a computer would have to do to be considered not property? Uh, well, I love T's criteria, first of all. Um, but I think about, um, you know, who we afford, you know, inalienable human rights in our society now, right? Like, animals aren't afforded rights that humans are afforded, like we are given the kind of top line level of rights uh, when it comes to like freedom of expression, freedom from torture, you know, liberty and life, etc. And so and then, you know, on the other hand, corporations actually have been afforded life uh, rights, according to the Supreme Court that that, um, you know, are parallel to human uh, parallel to like personhood rights, right? Like they have, like individual, they have some individual rights, according to law, um, which I, you know, of course I find very bizarre, but nonetheless, corporate entities have similar rights to humans. And so, um, you know, I think about, um, when it, when it came to, when, when it, well, first of all, I think it would have to prove its sentience, right? So we're, I think we'd have to stipulate based on a conversation we had before that the, the example is that it is sentient. Otherwise, I think we, we'd have to prove the machine is sentient to start with because, um, I think it would need that as a as a kind of threshold. But let's say then we've all agreed that this machine has sentience. Um, the other thing I think about is accountability. All right, we all, have, you know, as humans, have a couple of things um, that limit us. You know, that we have going for us or not going for us, which is that we're mortal. Right, we have we have mortality, and and so we measure 
our behavior and society as part of our social compact um, in terms of that in some way or another. Like, for instance, you know, we um, enjoy liberty, but if we engage in bad acts, that liberty is threatened, right? That liberty could be threatened all the way to death by the state in some cases. And so um, that kind of accords itself to our, you know, mortality, right? So when we think of, you know, interacting as a citizen in a society, you know, we behave in ways that, um, you know, are, you know, that allow for everyone else's liberty to be, um, you know, to be fully expressed, right? At least that's the idea. Otherwise, that liberty could be threatened, et cetera. So I wonder what, um, you know, I would ask that, you know, like T, your, in your example, it's, oh, I want to be free. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you think your accountability is if you engage in bad acts, right? If a machine engages in bad acts, what are we to make of what the accountability for that machine would be? Um, unplug it, right? And then would it feel, you know, the kind of, you know, emotional, you know, irrevocable, irrevocable consequence in some cases of that consequence, right? Um, and so I think it's a big question in terms of, you know, you know, does, does, you know, is a machine entitled to the same, you know, kind of top line level rights as humans, as humans, and then if they are, are they then um, accountable uh, for all the consequences? And then if they are, you know, are those consequences good enough? Like, do, do we feel, would we feel as a society that say, you know, we were confident that they would suffer consequences or whatever, be accountable to consequences for their bad acts? So I don't know, that's maybe a bit of a mushy answer, but I think of, so I think about it, I guess, in simple terms as what does liberty mean to us? Um, and what does liberty mean to a machine or to a sentient machine? And how are they different? Um, and how do we, you know, evaluate that difference um, in, in turn uh, as a way of determining whether or not they, uh, the, they being the sentient machines are eligible for the same rights as us? Fantastic. Yeah, that that is really something to consider. T, since that was prompted in some form from your response, did you want to respond? Yeah, I think that um, there there is a lot of of good open questions there. Um, I, th I think just the the whole court challenge is is a good idea, um, just to sort of legalize things. But yes, I think that we'll also need laws for when they do harm, and that was you know sort of implicit in my criteria for ability to care for oneself. Um, in that. Uh, you know, part, part of being able to care for oneself is to stay out of trouble, right? Is to not get, not get, you know, arrested and things like that. Not, you know, go on a murder spree and, and, you know, subsequently get yourself killed either, you know, by, by cop or, or by execution by the state or something. So, yeah, right. I think that these are all, these are all critical questions and we do need to have laws that apply and, when when it makes that you know that leap from under my curation to you know free i think that that is when you know sort of the the law does need to change right so so we have to have i wouldn't say faith but there has to be a great belief that the restriction of liberty of a robot is truly felt in the way we feel it which goes back to this you know sentient question like do they feel things and all that kind of stuff right like because you you know a robot murders someone, you put that robot in jail, it is now sitting in a jail cell somewhere, presumably with no Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> no connection to the internet. Um, what is that, do we as humans, um, do, is that acceptable to us as a human society that we feel that justice will have been done in restricting this sentient robot's uh, liberty because we understand that like us, it is feeling, it's that restriction, you know, right? Like it is feeling the, the you know the consequences acutely in the way we would feel it um and then of course you get into like do they have rights you know is it cruel and unusual punishment to keep you know uh, a sentient robot whose liberty has been restricted in a prison in 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 isolation right because that supreme court has said that like you can't you know even though you know, prison systems do it all the time even here in america you can't keep someone in you know, in isolation for years and years and years at a time, right? So they have to be able to interact. So now, you know, the robot's allowed to, you know, socialize in the in the yard, in the prison yard, say. And so all of this is to say, like, you know, and I know you, you get where I'm going with this, T, is like, 
you know, as a society, are we going to have faith or believe that those restrictions of liberty for machines are indeed, you know, consequences that we can live with because they, because we, we will understand that the machine itself is feeling those consequences. Yeah. And I I don't know the answer. I think that we'll probably, we'll probably end up with very different punishments in the end, you know, than simply just, you know, putting them in the, in the, in the, in a cell somewhere. Right. Right. Like turning it off hell style. Like, you know, Hal is like, don't do that, Dave. Right. Like in 2001 Space Odyssey, like, it's like, please don't Dave. Like it's, it's presumably feeling this pain, if you will, of, of the threat of being turned off. Right. And so, you know, yes. So yeah, I agree with you. What, what, is punishment for a robot, I think would be one of the biggest questions when it comes to whether or not we're going to afford it rights. Great. Yeah, thank you for that. That was a great exchange. Um, Ryan, over to you. What do you think a computer would have to do to be considered not property? That's a good question. Um, It would need to show that it can live independent of my existence and my, my house, my uh, electrical plugs, my maintenance, my updating the virus protection. So it, it would have to display that it is self-aware that it can independently move, whether it be by ordering a service to move it around or by having a body or by being free code in the internet. It would have to show that it is a curious creature and that it is capable of, of uh, navigating the world and social situations uh, where it's not going to need my immediate help every time someone bruises its ego. So it, it, I'm, I'm basically describing raising a kid. You, you give right. little by little uh, levels of autonomy and of responsibility until it shows that it is ready to be independent and at that point you have to grant it its independence so it would be level by level by level by level the same way that we raise children and being the first generation doing this there's going to be tons of mistakes right there's going to be ai in therapy for years but the next generation will learn a little bit more so on and so forth so, you know, the, the, what the issue with the computer is, is how is it getting around? Is, are we talking about a desktop or a laptop that slowly becomes self-aware? Or are we talking about a, a humanoid robot that starts keeping a diary, starts keeping secrets, uh, starts scrapbooking for things that it wants, right? Like what, what are the, what are the social signs? What are the social cues it's giving us? And once we feel like, yeah, you're you're ready to be on your own, little bird, off you go. Yeah, that you know, that's I, I'm I, I'm trying to imagine it because I had a discussion this morning with respect to those little like um, the little robot trucks that take the deliver food, and how I can see in the next even year or two how they will start interacting. People are already saying hello to them. And maybe people are abusing them, but um, I can imagine that it might be trained in some way. I mean, certainly it could be programmed. So I think programming and training are different, but it could be trained to greet the person who it leaves the food for or to, you know, wish them well or whatever, or, or remember this particular person. And then I thought, because we have an area in our neighborhood where when it's nesting season for the crows, the crows will dive bomb people. And so people just don't walk down that street much in that area. And so would this machine decide to go a different route? Or maybe it knows that it is harder than a crow's beak or something like that. So it, I see this happening in a way outside of like the humanoid creatures. And and so that's sort of what I'm I'm focused on when I hear these these descriptions of it, I'm still focused on these little trucks because I see them in my neighborhood, right? And I think they're really funny and a little bit cute. And all you'd have to do to make it just a little bit more personal to 
to some people is put a little head on it, right? And then people would be interacting with it a lot different because we do want to see little heads, I guess. But then what the wonderful uses could be for those, but then we get to a level of, okay, so now it's been independent, it's outside, has it learned what it needs to learn to be not property? So that's... Yeah, it's just fascinating. Thank you for letting me share because you guys, whenever you guys share, my mind just goes absolutely on fire. And I, I think of a billion different things. So thank you. So Steve, what do you think a computer would have to do to be considered not property? Ooh, that's a tough one. Honestly, a lot of it for me would tie into the fundamentals, I have to understand how it works to really make the distinction. But minus a full understanding of their consciousness and the processes thereof, um, and the understanding of, of consciousness itself and its most fundamental processes, I would say then all I can go with is that the the robot one shows that they are uh, uh, civil, like they haven't shown malice or, or hostility towards anyone else. And they express, uh, alongside this, this civil behavior, a want to not be property. At that point, I would just assume it's better to assume that it is sentient until proven otherwise, and that it is not hostile until proven otherwise, because that's pretty much what we do with all people, right? Yeah, there are hostile people out there, though. They're just uh, hostile within bounds, but they're still hostile. So, and we don't consider them property. So I thought that was interesting that you said that's what we do with people. I think it's important to recognize that um, when, when it comes to like, you know, like this talk about raising children is we still raise children and some of them grow up to be serial killers. I mean... These things don't just happen in a vacuum. They happen because two people got together and made a baby. Um, and, and so in a world where we have to recognize that serial killers exist, we got to create laws about it. But if something is capable of, you know, displaying sentience and um, asking for its freedom, I think we have to stop considering it property and start making laws about it. You know, you know what I'm saying is, is we have to stop, you know, the discussion about, you know, what it is that I need to do for you and start the discussion about what it is you can't do without you know, in turn getting punished or something. Right. Right. With that freedom of being on property, you have to accept responsibility. And on top of that, um, the, the idea is as it is with people that once you do show that hostile behavior, once you do break the law, your rights as an individual start to fade because you're not helping the rest of us keep our own individuality. Okay. Uh, T, any final thoughts on all of this for today? I loved this discussion. I mean, I love these episodes. I love the whole theme and I love the contribution of the crew. We really had a, a great discussion on exactly what it is that I wanted to focus on, which is the criteria for sentience. And I'm so happy. So thank you all. This was amazing. Thank you for coming. You guys are just incredible. And I am so excited for what is to come. Yeah, same. So thank you. This has been Star Trek Sundays. We are here every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. And, um, and we do have watch parties every Saturday. Sometimes it's in the afternoon. Sometimes last night it was in the evening, which was great. So just stay tuned and we will see you here in the hallways during the week and hopefully next Sunday. So have a great afternoon. Live long and prosper. Thank you, God. Thanks so much.